Matthew this morning, and what we're going to talk about is Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. But before we do, let's pray together again. Father, we gather now in your presence to hear from you, Lord. We Lord, we love you, we praise you. In spite of all the challenges of this year, God, we thank you for your kindness and mercy to us, which is new every morning. And we ask, Lord, for greater grace still, Lord. Your scripture says that uh, it's difficult to understand, but that that Jesus was uh, perfected through his sufferings, and so we know, Lord, that challenges and difficulties in life serve a purpose, Lord. They conform us to your image. They help us see more clearly, God, what's most important in life. And so, Lord, I pray that um, as we uh, close out this year and reflect on all that you are and all that you've done, we will learn the lessons, God, that you have wanted to teach us, and that you remind us again this morning of how Jesus is greater than everything. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. And um, in this striking passage here, uh, Jesus is going to make some Old Testament references. And if we look back in the Old Testament... There's a number of remarkable figures uh, that you know would have been well known to the Jews that are well known to us. You have Mo- Abraham, you have Moses, you have all the prophets, you have the kings, you have David and Solomon and so on. These great, great, great men uh, that would have been well respected uh, by all the Jews. And yet in our text today, Jesus makes a remarkable claim. And that claim is that he is greater than all those men. And of course, this um, shocked, especially the religious leaders in Jesus' day. But it's important for us to reflect on about how Jesus is greater than the greatest men that we could know or even conceive of and what that means for our lives. So that's what we want to talk about this morning as we talk about how Jesus is greater. From Matthew chapter 12 beginning in verse 38. And if you're able and willing, I invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Matthew 12, beginning in verse 38. It says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But, he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they, re- for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. 
For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. When, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brother stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Word of God. You may be seated. So what I want to look at this morning uh, are three things. Number one, Jesus is greater than prophets and kings. Jesus is greater than prophets and kings. Number two, Jesus is greater than life. Jesus is greater than life. And number three, Jesus is greater than family. Jesus is greater than family. First, we see that Jesus is greater than prophets and kings. And so it's been a couple weeks since we've been in Matthew. And so just to kind of remind ourselves of where we are, chapter 11 addressed some themes related to misconceptions about who Jesus was and the judgment coming for those who refused to see Jesus for who he was. But to those with eyes to see and ears to hear, Jesus says, those whom he reveals himself to, he is rest for their souls. And then chapter 12 begins to draw more attention and focus on the rising opposition that Jesus faced, especially from the scribes and the Pharisees. And this condemnation of the Pharisees kind of climaxes uh, in the account that we talked about where Jesus basically tells the Pharisees that they have committed the unforgivable sin. And that is that they have so hardened their heart against Jesus and they have carefully weighed him in their hearts and in their minds and, and still have refused to believe in him despite the miraculous signs that they saw. Uh, and in fact, they even attributed those signs that were clearly from God to Satan. Okay? And so, um, and in this passage here, um, they, begin, they ask for a sign. Now, you would think that by now, all the miracles that they have seen would have been sign enough for them to believe who Jesus was and, and would have been vindication enough and validation enough for Jesus' uh, ministry. And yet, it seems here their request for a sign uh, probably falls in line with the Old Testament requests for a sign that were kind of miraculous and instantaneous occurrence at the command of the prophet that served as confirmation of the word that was spoken. For example, in Isaiah chapter 38, uh, God through the prophet uh, Isaiah gives Hezekiah a sign. It says in verse 4 there, Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you in this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria and will defend this city. This shall be a sign to you from the Lord. 
that the Lord will do this thing that he has promised. Behold, I will make the shadow cast by the declining sun on the dial of Ahaz. Turn back ten steps. So the sun turned back on the dial the ten steps by which it had declined. And so in this example, this was a sign immediate from the Lord through, uh, as told through Isaiah to King Hezekiah that he would perform what he had promised, that he would grant him to recover from this illness and protect him from the king of Assyria. And so it was an immediate sign by turning, literally turning the time back on the sundial of Ahaz, okay? And so um, they're probably asking some kind of similar confirmation of this confirma- confirmation of Jesus' ministry. But what we see is that their request for this sign, right? And, and you, don't, you, don't, you, know, you, don't have, you don't have to be a genius to figure this out in the book of Matthew, right? Their request for a sign wasn't a genuine desire of validation. They weren't, the Pharisees weren't sitting there thinking, oh, maybe Jesus really is the Messiah. If he'll just give us a sign. No, they were, they, they were, they were, they were committed against Jesus to the point that even if Jesus had given them a sign, they, were, they weren't going to believe it. And, and the fact that they asked for such a sign really just displayed what Jesus calls their evil, uh, displayed that they were an evil and adulterous generation. That's what he says. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. That language there, an evil and, adult, evil and adulterous, is, is Old Testament language for the rebellion of the nation of Israel. Right? It's for the rebellion of the nation of Israel. God painted himself as, as uh, the nation of Israel's husband, and that Israel was his bride, that he chose her and loved her and redeemed her. Okay? But then, and then all throughout the Old Testament, idolatry, idolatry is pictured as, adult, as spiritual adultery. Right? God, uh, God betrothed Israel to himself, but whenever she went and worshipped false gods and worshipped idols, she was committing spiritual adultery against God. And so what we see then is that in Jesus' day, their idolatry was very similar to the idolatry that, that occurs in you know, the modern West, modern West today. And that is that the Jews, the religious leaders during Jesus' day... They knew they knew their, the Bible enough, you know. They 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 were not they were not worshiping you know cast metal images like ancient Israel was in Jesus's day. They knew that that was wrong. That's the first commandment, first and second commandment. You should have no other gods before me. You should not make any graven images, okay, and bow down to them, okay. And so they knew that well enough. So that's not the type of idolatry that the Pharisees were doing in Jesus's day, but. Jesus still calls them an an evil and adulterous generation. What then were the idols of Jesus' generation and of the the Pharisees and the scribes and the religious leaders of Jesus' generation? Well, if you kind of scan through the Gospels, what do you see? Well, the Pharisees, uh, they were, Jesus says, they were proud. They what? They loved to, to pray on the corners and in the synagogues, and they liked the best places, uh, the best seats at the table, at the feast, and they loved the praise of men, right? So that's not, that's, not an, that's not old school bowing down to cast metal images idolatry. That's the same idolatry we do today. Love the praise of men. Love the best places in society. Right? In another place in the Gospels, it, uh, the Pharisees are described as greedy. They loved money. 
You see, 2,000 years, nothing has changed. People idolize money, power, love of praise, prestige, social standing, clout among their peer groups, right? So their request then was indicative of hearts that were not seeking the truth of God, but, was, uh, but of hearts that were in love with the world. And, that's what, and so this, this story implicitly calls us, right, to ask the question, you know, is my, am I part, is my heart evil and adulterous with respect to God? Do I have any idols in my life? Because of their hearts were like this, Jesus said that this sign, this generation would receive no sign except the sign of Jonah. The sign of Jonah being that Jonah was swallowed by the big fish and oh, spent three days and three nights in the, in the belly there and then, and then came back out. Um, and, and so, quite clearly, what Jesus is referencing is his death, burial, and resurrection from the dead. And some have been bothered by the three days and three nights, uh, since technically, in our counting, Jesus was buried on Friday and rose from the dead on Sunday. But that's really no problem, because the Jews counted days differently than we do. They counted inclusively, whereas just even a part of a day was counted as a day. So Friday, Saturday, Sunday is three days in Jewish reckoning. Okay? And, and, and so what he's saying there is that, is that the, only, the only sign that Jesus, the, the, the ultimate, well, he's, he gave them plenty of signs, but the, the ultimate and sign and validation of who he was in his ministry was going to be his death and his resurrection. The resurrection is the ultimate sign that Jesus is who he said that he was. The Son of God, the Savior of the world. You see, there's nothing like, there's nothing like the resurrection, right? Uh, very, only very rarely was anybody ever raised from the dead. It only happened... Um, it only happened in the, in, uh, in the ministry of uh, Elisha and uh, maybe Elijah. But, but in Jesus, Jesus raised several people from the dead. But one thing that was completely unheard of is this. Somebody raising themselves from the dead. And so what Jesus was saying was that this is my vindication and my validation that this is who he said that he was. And, if you th- and, 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 and by the way, he talks about Jonah, and then he gives us a, and then if you think about it, it's, it's actually quite profound because what Jesus is saying that Jonah was a pointer to him, right? Which is interesting if you think about it, right? Because, because well, Jonah, I mean, he, he's, kind of like, he's kind of like a foil to Jonah. Jonah didn't want to preach to the Ninevites, and, but then very reluctantly ended up doing so anyway. So, so Jesus counters that by being faithful to God, being preaching the gospel to whoever God wants him to. But the point is that Jesus, uh, Jonah went into the fish and came back out and preached to Nineveh, the Gentiles, and they repented. Jesus went into the ground, rose from the dead. His, uh, his gospel was proclaimed to the Gentiles, and they believed too, right? So Jonah is a picture and a type of Christ, right? And so... Uh, his death and resurrection is the ultimate va- validation and vindication of who he is. And, and Jesus' further point is this. He says that the gen- now this is incredible. He says that the Ninevites will rise up in the, ju- in the day of judgment. The Ninevites will be raised up and they will testify and witness to the condemnation of Jesus' generation. 
because they repented at Jonah, and Jesus' generation did not repent at the preaching of someone far greater than Jonah. That's astounding. And then, and then of course, the same illustration with the, with the Queen of Sheba, right? The Queen of Sheba traveled who knows how far to reach, to, to, to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and she will rise up at the judgment against this generation to testify against this generation because she would travel all that way to hear the wisdom of Solomon and they wouldn't listen to Jesus and Jesus is far greater than Solomon. Now, of course, you know, we're familiar with this passage so it doesn't strike us as much, but just, just weigh for a second the claim that Jesus is making. He, Jesus is claiming to be far greater than Jonah which might not be as shocking, but then he goes on to say that he's far greater than Solomon. Solomon was the greatest, I mean, in terms of the, in, not in terms of faithfulness, but in terms of the prestige of his kingdom and the wealth of his kingdom, Solomon was the greatest king of the nation of Israel, by far. That, that, that was the height of the prosperity of the nation of Israel. And Jesus says, I'm greater than him. Can you imagine being a Jew in, in Jesus' day? And you see this guy, and he, you know, Bible says he wasn't much to look at. He's probably just a normal Jewish-looking guy wearing normal Jewish-looking clothes. And he's sitting down, and he's talking to the people, and he says, I'm greater than Solomon. Well, you have, to, you have a decision to make. Either this guy's a little cuckoo, or you're in the presence of something mind-blowing. And astounding, and greater than people can even, greater than we can quite comprehend what's even happening, right? And yet, this is what Jesus says. This is what Jesus had the audacity to say: "I'm greater than Jonah. I'm greater than Solomon." The Queen of Sheba listened to Solomon. The Ninevites listened to Jonah, but you refuse to listen to me. And so they will rise up against you at judgment. If they, if Jonah and Solomon deserve to be heard. How much more Christ? And so then the question is pressed not just upon Jesus' listeners, but it's pressed upon us, right? Are, are we listening to Jesus, right? There's lots of voices today. Everybody's got an opinion. Everybody's got something to say. But the question is, who are you listening to? Will you listen to this? Will you listen to that? Will you listen to this person? Will you listen to that person? Are you listening? Are we listening and heeding some voices more than listening and heeding to Jesus' voice? If so, then the Queen of Sheba and the Ninevites will testify against us too. If we don't listen, if we listen to other voices but refuse to listen to Jesus's. So number one here is we see that Jesus is greater than prophets and kings. Number two, we see that Jesus is greater than life. Jesus is greater than life. We see this in, the, in this story that Jesus tells of the, of the unclean spirit. It's a parable, right? The unclean spirit has gone out of a person. Um, it passes through the waterless places. He says, finds none. Then it says, I'll return from the house in which I came. When it comes, verse 44, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Verse 45, then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of the person is worse than the first. So will it be with this evil generation. And so, 
the, the last verse, the, the last line there helps you figure out this parable because it's, it's kind of confusing. But what we learn is that Jesus is speaking this parable against, the, against that generation, against the generation. So it's in continuity with what he, just, what he just talked about with Jonah and the queen of Sheba, okay? So, and that is that this, this, uh, this generation was, is, is uh, Jesus effectively came in and by his ministry and work and proclaiming of the gospel and the light that he shone into the darkness of his generation, he essentially kind of cast out the demons, if you will, of this generation. Okay? He, 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 he came in to this generation and swept it up and put it in order. Right? So, so it should have been good to go. Right? It should have been good to go. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He cast out demons. Okay, which is obviously what literally Jesus did that. So he's using this parable as an example, as an illustration of that. But, of course, Jesus wouldn't stay in his physical presence like many people thought he would. Okay, but he would ascend into heaven. He would pour out his Holy Spirit on those who believe. And then his kingdom would spread to the ends of the earth through the proclaiming of the gospel. Okay. And so when Jesus, so Jesus, when he leaves, he doesn't leave it, he doesn't leave a vacuum, right? When he leaves, he does what? He sends the Holy Spirit, right? He sends the Holy Spirit. So he doesn't, he doesn't leave things in a vacuum. Um, and so, and so the, the question with this generation, or the point is this, the human soul can't, can't exist in a vacuum, right? You, you, you know that illustration, You've heard that you've heard the phrase like it, you know, it doesn't come out of a vacuum, it doesn't exist in a vacuum, right? You know what a vacuum is, right? A vacuum is a is a is a place there's there's no there's no there's there's no pressure, okay? And so it it, it and so what a va- so a vacuum it it it, it sucks, right? It, it it and and so a vacuum means there's nothing it means there's nothing there, okay? There's there's nothing there, and so there there. There can't, there can't be, there can't be a, a pressureless spot in our bodies, in our souls, in our existence. There can't be just a state of nothingness, all right? If there's, a, if there's an empty hole, something tends to want to fill up that hole, okay? It just, that's, just how lot, that's just how everything works, really, okay? There can't be pressure differences, okay? So if there's an empty space, something wants to fill up that space, okay? So the way this works is this. You can't just, you can't just, be, you can't just be a spiritual vacuum, if some if if a demon if something is if something is taken out of you something else is going to fill that spot that's what Jesus is saying okay the problem with Jesus's generation is what is that they rejected him right they rejected him and so he came in and he kind of cleaned house if you will but when he left Upon his leaving, what was supposed to take his place was the Holy Spirit. But since they rejected Jesus, that left a spiritual vacuum, right? A spiritual vacuum in their lives, okay? And because of that, and because, because we can't just stay in that kind of state of emptiness, the, the demons then that Jesus cast out of that generation, all they were going to do at that point is just come right back in. In, in Jesus' parable there, he says uh, that he, the, that demon will go and bring seven other spirits more evil than itself. Well, in the Bible, seven is, the number seven signifies fullness or completion or perfection, which basically means that because that generation rejected Jesus, 
then the state that is going to happen to them when he leaves is going to be fully disastrous. Wholly, completely disastrous. Which, in fact, it was, which is why, which is why Jesus, I mean, which is why the Scripture points to the fact that the Jewish nation was finally and climactically obliterated, if you will, at the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in 70 A.D. Okay? But so the, the, point, the point is this. What this parable tells us is that Jesus is the only one worthy to be the possessor of our lives. We can't live in a spiritual vacuum. There's no such, you know, the Bible says there's no such thing as an atheist in the sense that everybody is worshiping something. Right? There's no such thing as a there's no such thing as a truly irreligious person. Everybody, whether it's consistent or not, has some vehicle through which they're trying to get meaning and significance and value out of life. Okay? You can't you can't just you can't live without those things, or else you just you know you can't you can't live without a sense of significance and meaning and purpose. It's impossible, or else you'll be utterly depressed. Okay, it's impossible. And so there's no such thing as a spiritual vacuum. But what this parable tells us is that Jesus is the only thing that can fill our hearts that will actually make a difference. If anything else in our state will be far worse than when we began. Anything that challenges the total lordship of Christ in our lives is an enemy of Christ and is in league with Satan. Which is why Jesus said a little bit earlier uh, in our passage last time at 1230 that whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. And so the question we have to ask is, are we like this adulterous generation? Have we been professing love for Christ while having a love affair with the world? Where, 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 is, our, where, where is our hope? What, what, what? is that thing that fills us to the very brim that gives us our meaning and significance and hope and purpose in our lives. You know, what good is it if our, if our lives are, you know, neat and in order if they're not filled with Christ? Because the, the end of that thing is, the, if Christ doesn't come in to, to keep it clean and in order, what's going to happen is eventually it's just going to be filled with death and destruction. And so Jesus then is is supreme. He's great. And the question is, how will we respond to him? How will we respond to him? He is greater than all the world has to offer, even life itself. Jesus promises the greatest, fullest, most purposeful, eternally meaningful life now and forever. And you would think, well, if that's true, then why doesn't everybody believe in him? <laughs> well, the answer is quite simple. Because to have that life means you have to follow Jesus. It means you have to submit to Jesus. It means you have to trust Jesus more than you trust yourselves. And the reason why people do that is because they want to do what they want to do. They still want to be the boss of their lives. But the great tragedy of that is in thinking that they are pursuing the good life or the life that will make them happy. They're actually choosing the opposite. And so we see that greater, Jesus is greater than prophet and kings. Jesus is greater than life. And number three, Jesus is greater than family. 
It says, while he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brother stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, uh, saying, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mothers. And so, kind of in the same vein here, Jesus is speaking to this fact that he is greater than one of the greatest gifts God gives to us in the world, and that is family. You see, the danger of a great gift, the the greater the gift, the more tempting it will be to focus on the gift rather than the giver. And family is probably one of the greatest examples of that. In this story, Jesus' own family comes looking for him. Now, I think it'd be wrong to take this parable as it, or this, this event as if Jesus is kind of like hardened towards his family. I mean, God designed the family. Family's a good thing. He's not saying family's a bad thing, but he took this opportunity to explain the difference that the kingdom of God is making in the world. And the difference that the kingdom of God is making in the world is this, that, our, that, that a, a, a new tie and a new bond has been created between people, not by blood, but by faith, right? And so it's something different. Before, before Christ, in the, even in the old covenant, within the Jews, right, within Judaism, they, they believed and, and trusted in their identity as, as Jews, as descendants who shared the blood of Abraham and their family ties to Abraham and their blood ties to one another as the family of Abraham, as kind of the hope, if you will, that they were heirs, uh, inheritors of the promises of God, right? But Jesus kind of steps in there and kind of disrupts that whole understanding by saying, wait a second, the kingdom of God, the bonds in the kingdom of God are different because they're not through blood. They're through faith, So the kingdom of God actually now constitutes a different kind of family. A family that is created, again, not by blood, but by faith. And so Jesus can say then, he can, can, despite the fact that his blood blood family through his his mother at least is outside, despite that fact, he can point to his disciples and say, these are, are my here are my mother and my brothers for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother so jesus isn't saying family isn't important he's just saying that family isn't ultimate even the best family is temporary and many and many people either some don't really have any meaningful family whatsoever or don't have a close relationship with their family. But Jesus is saying all that ultimately doesn't matter because in Christ we have a new family. The family of God. Jesus was the son of God. And if we believe in Jesus, we too become children of God. And the evidence, Jesus says, the evidence that God is our father is if we obey him as a father. Right? Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven 
is my brother and sister and mother. It goes back to what we've talked about before, right? When you're part of a family, there's a family resemblance, right? The way that you know that someone is a, a sibling of Jesus and a son and a child of God is they, have, they bear the family resemblance of God, which is a life of faith and love and obedience. That's how you know who's part of the family of God. And Jesus is saying, this is the family that is ultimate. And so again, Jesus relativizes the importance of everything else in our lives, even that of our own families. The kingdom of God is supreme over, over everything. And this, is, and this is an important and a hard lesson to learn. And, and as we've talked about before, we pray that it doesn't happen, but sometimes it does happen. Sometimes in life, we are forced to choose between God or our family. In other parts of the world right now, there are people who, if they chose to be baptized, they would be immediately kicked out of their households, if not try to be killed by their own families. And, and, so, and so unless you believe this, what Jesus is teaching here, unless you believe this, you will not have the, the courage and conviction to to turn away from your very own family because you believe that Christ is greater than family. Sometimes we're called to choose. And so we must know then that Jesus is saying that even if you have to lose your earthly family, you've got a family that's far greater. It's the family of God. Here are my mothers. Here are my, here's my mother and my brothers, those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. So what do we see? That Jesus is greater than prophet and kings. He's greater than life. And he's greater than family. And so as I close this morning, I just extend this invitation to everyone here, to anyone who may be watching online. And the invitation is this. Jesus is greater. He's greater. There's no one like Jesus Christ. There's no, there's no one who could know you so thoroughly. Let me say, I know my faults. You know your faults. If, peop, you know, if people knew half of what I knew about me, they wouldn't like me as much as they do. And you probably feel the same way. Guess what? Jesus knows you better than you know you. And he still loves you. There's nobody like Jesus. And so if, you serve, so if you just embrace that and surrender and trust him more than you trust yourself and believe in him and love him and serve him, you become part of the family of God, a family that nothing can take away so that even if you lose everything else in this life, when it's all said and done, you will rise to eternal life and not a single family member will be missing. In the family of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love for us through Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus, that through your death and resurrection, you have proven that you are the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And you have made it possible that we can become children of God. And, and you have through that granted us a family greater 
than anything we can imagine, that nothing can take away. And so I pray, Lord, as we close out this new year, we would just be full of joy and gratitude as we remember how you are greater than everything, King Jesus, greater than kings and prophets, greater than the greatest people, uh, the highest, most highly esteemed people on earth. You're greater than life. You're greater than family. You're greater than everything, King Jesus. And if we have you, Lord, if we had nothing else, we would still have everything. And so, Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are and for what you have done for us. And I pray that this morning, if there's somebody listening to my voice who has yet to know you, I pray that your spirit would draw them powerfully at this very moment to help them see that you are, in fact, greater, Lord, and that if we have you, we have everything, that they would turn from their sins, call on you, believe in you, trust in you, and find that hope in the family that nothing can take away. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for worshiping and being attentive to God's word this morning. We're going to sing a song of decision. And so the altar's open. Maybe you want to come and just leave 2020 here at the altar. Um, now would be a great time to do that. Any, any burdens or cares that you have, now would be a great time to just leave them to the Lord. If there's anything that I can pray with you about, if you'd like to talk more about anything or about how you can follow Christ, I'd be glad to do that as well. However the Lord